You're listening to Japanese Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. Life together is the title I chose. And I didn't come up with that. This comes from, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. And, uh, and this was at a time when the world was ending, as anyone knew it. You know, this, this is a time when, when the church had to make a, a very difficult choice uh, to join to join pain, to join prejudice, to join hate, or to endanger its life and say no to all of it. And as is often the case, the church did both. Parts of the church fully, wholeheartedly join in the pain, the, the, the cruelty, the hate. And there was a small part that chose the difficult part. Life Together came to be at a, it was a seminary that was created by, by Bonhoeffer and his friends that was a secret seminary. It was a space where those who felt God was calling us to something other than hate based on superiority, they came together. It was illegal because they were teaching love, not just as an idea, but in action. And worse still, love for everyone, regardless of what they looked like, where they came from, and worse, what they thought. So the title, Life Together, came to be in the midst of looking for God in a world that seemed to be without God, where people felt themselves abandoned by God, some, very reasonably, lost their faith. Others sought the company of fellow believers and set about a search for answers, help, support, comfort in that community. So it was interesting to me that in the midst of the loss of, the loss of God, people found God in each other, in the community that was born out of this end-of-life tragic space, you know, everything was lost. And the best way some people found to walk to God and encounter God was with each other. How Baptist, one would say, Christians came to God through other Christians. And today's, I, I like to, to focus on that. Uh, I, I think more often than not, the people who need Jesus the most are the ones that are in church all the time uh, because we often think we know Jesus. But it seems to me that sometimes we don't know Jesus, we know our idea of Jesus. Does that make sense to you? You know, it's sort of like when you don't see someone for a long time and you see them and, 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 and time has happened to them, but in your head they're still 12 years old. I think sometimes we encountered Jesus a long time ago and we got too busy with life. So in our head, Jesus is 12 years old. And it becomes to me an image of who we want Jesus to be, not who Jesus is. And when that happens, Jesus uh, ceases to be our guiding light and becomes the reason for us justifying what we want. And something like that happens with our ancestry. 
If we don't pay attention, if we don't spend time with it, if we don't listen to what happened before, soon they become, rather than a guiding light to us, they become the reason for us to justify what we want to do. And that brings me to here. I, it is an honor for me to stand on this holy ground. And it also reminds me that JBC has lived all its life with a deep, uh, you know, marrow, you know, bone marrow deep longing that has permeated this holy ground just about its entire existence. And, and like every, all important aspects of life, this longing is, is a very difficult paradox, right? Uh, uh, this is one that every generation must struggle with while those who remain from the previous generations look on worryingly and frequently expressing concerns about what the young people are doing to it. Every generation must face this Gordian knot under pressure and unrealistic expectations, right? It is your turn now to do everything we didn't do, but now that it's in the past, we think we did. Maybe I've kept this longing a mystery for too long. I suspect JBC has lived with the impossible weight that all visible minorities live with in our country. How do we convey to the world that we belong here as fully and intrinsically as they do, while at the same time honoring our ancestry that sustains, nurtures, and guides who we are? How do we do that? How could we possibly help a majority that is blinded by skin-deep skin homogeneity understand that it is fully possible to belong here intrinsically at the same time be and rejoice in and love our differences? How do we convey how our differences in appearance and in cultural far from diluting our culture, actually enrich and strengthen our world. Have you ever started something and then you realize you're not up to the task of what you just said? So I have no answer for those questions. Uh, it's just a question for you, but, but I do wonder about possible paths in engaging with those questions, engaging with this Gordian knot that I mentioned. And, and if I may, for a minute, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step into fully Western culture and, and talk a little bit about this Gordian knot thing, right? I mean, I think we know it comes from Greek history, right? There was, there was someone who had this knot that didn't have a beginning or an end, and the tradition said that whoever undid this knot was going to be the next emperor of the Western known world. And then Alexander the Great came across this knot and everybody is in highly expecting to see what Alexander is going to do. And he comes to the, to the knot and without thinking a whole lot, he takes his sword out and just cuts it to pieces. That was his answer. And our Western side loves this. We love the, the strong, no-nonsense leader who does not need to explore or ask questions. He just knows what the right thing to do is because he's a leader. We love to cut to the chase. We ask others to quit beating around the bush. 
We love to say, we'll cut a long story short. Even, our, even the sports we love are about immediate satisfaction. Football, basketball, hockey, even baseball are little more than a series of highlight murking bursts of action. Every one of those punishes the attacking team for not cutting to the chase or beating around the bush. There's a time clock for offensive action. Why take time to explore, analyze, and work out how complex something is when you could just simply take a sword to it? Onward, we say, after all, scoring is what really matters. If you're a pastor, you probably have heard, strike while the iron is hot. If you're going to change anything, change it now during the honeymoon while they still let you change things. Good leaders act fast, decisively, and that is the way. Done with the past. Cut it up. It's over. Leave her behind. Our culture has such a bad relationship with the past that most of us don't even know it. That's one way. You could do that. You could say, forget the past. Onward. Now is new. We have screens. Look at us. Who cares about the past? That's one way. Now, here's another way, and I'm coming to the end. And this comes to us from Ephesians. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity. And you heard the rest. What I love about this passage is the time frame that it teaches us. Did you notice that? Did you see this time? Till we come to maturity, to, that we must grow up in every way, the whole body join and knit together in every ligament as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself in love. You can't do that quickly. You can't do that without a past. You cannot do that without remembrance. It just simply cannot happen. The letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians is a remarkable exploration of salvation, transformation, how relating to God changes who we are, on and on and on. Our Western culture, blinded by homogeneity, thinks that most of the letters that we have are about theology, structure, and liturgy. Somehow, they miss what is in front of them, and that is that every single one of these letters teaches us about life in diversity. Not in spite of our diversity, but because of that same diversity. That in fact, we're enriched because we're different and that difference is very intentional from God. In fact, in Ephesians, the whole second half of the second chapter is spent entirely in explaining to everyone you are different because God made you different, and that difference is intentional and therefore necessary for your life together. 
So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. At that time, there was no more praise than to tell somebody that you're a member of the household of something. This tradition might know something about that. How important is it to be a member of the household? All of the letters are about rooted in the fact that God created diversity intentionally and that therefore the body needs that diversity in order to exist. If we think about elsewhere in, in these letters, we could hear the echoes of how could the foot tell the ear, I don't need you. The lowliest of the body parts will be the highest of the body parts. Those hidden will be revealed. There is no Greek nor Jew, no slave nor master. At the root of the letters relating to the gospel is the fact that God made us different and that was intentional and that therefore God's ecclesia, God's gathering, God's church will be enriched nurtured by welcoming that diversity as it is, not by assimilating it. So I close by saying that as you struggle with the Gordian knot of how to go forward as JBC while embracing and welcoming the different world that has just moved immediately here, that the gospel along and as well as the epistles, these letters, reminds us that God's message for us is that it never is one or the other, but it is always both. There is no future without a past. But there is no past without a future. For if no one remembers, does it exist anymore? So take both with you. Live into both of those. Embrace them for the importance as they are. Because that is the way forward. You go because of you have been, because of who you have been. And at the same time, I was just thinking if I should say this or not. <laughs> at the same time, I think we know that most of our traditions present here have placed very high value in being better than everyone else. This is where the gospel will get difficult because the gospel says everyone is the best equally. And that's the task I leave you with. Can we, as Americans, can we, as those of, of Japanese, or of Japanese ancestry, even Korean, can we live into the gospel in the struggle that our ancestors have been taught that my people are the best because of accident of birth? 
Can we let go of that and say, we are all the best because God designed us that way. And the way we grow is with both together. An honor to be here with you.